Welcome, welcome, ladies and gents. It's Known to Ramble with Gotti and Josh. And this week we dive into an all-cars episode, but we started out with a little bit of a recap from our Emmys predictions from last episode. But on this week's show, it's all about cars. We dive into the F1 regulations for this season, as well as those uh, driver and constructor standings. We check that out. And this week we're also going over our all-time favorite cars in a uh, a high-fidelity-style top five. So, as always, thanks for joining us on Known to Ramble. So, Gotti, I thought it'd be kind of fun to look back at our episode we just had last week and just really quickly off the top, see how we did with these Emmys. Because as we all know, we did an Emmy episode last week. We made a ton of predictions at the end of that episode. If you haven't watched it, jump back over there first But because we're about to kind of spoil the end of that episode. <laughs> but uh, we're going to go through and we're going to kind of see how we did, see if all that TV watching over the past years have paid off. I'm excited. I, I think we did well. I think memory serves that we did quite well. I think I think we will find out that we did quite, quite well. So, first one we'll do is uh, comedy. We both, uh, you're, you're t- we kind of did two guesses for several of these, but uh, for the actual show, your two guesses were Ted Lasso and Hacks, and mine were Ted Lasso and Barry. We both got a point for Ted Lasso. For actor... Uh, I said Jason Sudeikis. You said Bill Hader. Mm. Jason Sudeikis took that one, so that was another point for me. For um, comedy actress, this is where you got the point. You said Gene Smart. I said Issa Rae. You got Gene Smart for that one. For uh, supporting actor, uh, I said Anthony Kerrigan and Brett Goldstein. And you said Tony Shalhoub and Nick Mohammed. Yeah. I know. And so uh, Brett Goldstein got me the point there for Comedy actress, I said Hannah Waddington. You said Kate McKinnon and Alex Bordenstein. Uh, we both whiffed. It was Cheryl Lee Ralph yeah. from Abbott Elementary. One of the best speeches of the night, by the way. Absolutely. She was awesome. Um, drama, we both said Severance. And then I said Better Call Saul and you said Ozark. Both whiffed. Se- uh, Secession won. Um, for drama actor, I said Bo- Bob Odenkirk. And your exact quote was Squid Game Guy. <laughs> <laughs> and I had to give you a point for that because Lee Jung Jae did win for Squid Game. Um, drama actress, we had Zendaya. Both of us said that, so we both got a point. Uh, uh, supporting actress, or sorry, supporting actor, you said you said three choices. You said uh, Kieran, Walken, or Totoro. And then you talked so much, I actually realized that I never got to say anything. <laughs> <laughs> so I didn't get to put in a vote for that. But good thing you didn't get one. So no points there for either of us. And then supporting actress. At this point, we were both tied with four apiece. So going into our last one, supporting actress, I said Julia Garner. You said Sarah Snook. <sighs> Julia Garner took took the win for me. So five correct versus your four. Terrible. But overall, I think we did pretty well. Yeah, to, to pull out, I think... Garner at the end was one of the best. Otherwise, my that Squid Game guy was my favorite. Absolutely. 
So um, that's just a quick look back at our at our. Uh, that's pretty fun. good for the main ones. Pretty good. We, we I think we nailed some of those shows. Um, and if we did not, you know, we we talked really really well about those shows as we were going through them, even if we uh, didn't necessarily pick them. So I thought we did pretty well on that. Um, we're gonna go ahead and take a quick break, and then we're gonna jump back in. And Gotti and I are gonna talk about something that we've gotten very very interested in the last couple of years, and that is Formula One racing. Room room. Alright, Gotti, so I, I do have to be a little honest. I I've only recently gotten into Formula One racing in the last probably I would say three years or so. I can definitely say it was probably slightly pre COVID. Mm. Found the found the Netflix show. You know me, I love sports documentaries, so anyone that can I can find I watch and I get obsessed with. So I watched it, uh, started really finding a lot of interest in a lot of these different drivers and that kind of is what propelled me into watching the races. And now I, me and Katrina we watch, you know, qualifyings practices we watch all of it every single weekend um and so i was curious how did how did you kind of get into watching formula one you said something about documentaries and about coverage that way that's sort of how i got into it um where i started following it but i think my first kind of knowledge of anything racing was always mario andretti i came across him at a young age i remember him doing not only you know, Formula One, but he did Indy, he did World Sports Car, he was all over the place. But the Andretti name was sort of my first anything racing type feel. So I'd say that was like late 90s. I was already kind of knowledgeable of it. But what really got me interested in Formula One might have been um, the Senna documentary back in 2010. It's by director uh, Asif Kapadi. And um, it's it's just about the quick rise of Senna and then, of course, the tragic ending. But um, that kind of got me into the fold, but I'd say like you, as far as following the seasons, I'd heard of Lewis Hamilton. I'd heard of, you know, even back all the way to Schumacher, but I don't think I'd followed seasons until the show. The show really got me into all the things behind it, the teams, the the whole aspect of the money, um, and, and so much of how big uh, these organizations are behind these drivers. Um, I was definitely, uh, like you, show impacted as far as now following F1. See, that's what I was so fascinated by was like I didn't realize how many people go into making that one car. Like in my brain, you know, you probably have like a team of like 10 mechanics or something. But then you see how they'll have 50 people in one department and you have 30 different departments. And these these teams are massive. And uh, I thought that was very, very interesting. And then how all of that pressure then comes down to the shoulders of basically a 19 to 25 year old in most cases. Um, I thought that was very, very interesting. And so, yeah, yeah. I've, I've really been enjoying it over the last couple of years. Um, so you're most, saying it's not like in Ford versus Ferrari where Christian Bale just basically builds his own car. Not quite like that. Not quite. Good that's, movie. That's though. more old school. Style. Oh, that's the old school. Style. <laughs> yeah. Really good movie. Um, so with Formula One, this was this is a very interesting season, and the reason is because uh, to start this year, they made some of the most drastic regulations changes that they've had in a long time that set that were meant to set up more competitive racing. As we probably know, 
if you are, have ever watched Formula One, you've probably heard of Mercedes or AMG Patronus, and they have dominated the hybrid era um, and won just about everything you could win for the last seven straight years. Uh, and it wasn't until last year that um, Max Verstappen and Red Bull won the Drivers' Championship that they even looked even remotely uh, vulnerable, if you will. So one of the things that they decided to do this year that was very, very big was they made big changes to the cars. And so I thought we'd kind of, I'd kind of go through some of the different regulations changes that they had through this year just to kind of, uh, you know, set up the, the idea of how this, this was supposed to be kind of a different year racing-wise. First off, all engine modifications are frozen from now until 2026. They're not allowed to really make major modifications or anything like that except for after they apply to the FIA they can make an uh, application for modifications based on the sole purpose of reliability, safety, cost savings, or minimal incidental changes. It's not like you can completely remodel your engine to try and make it the new best thing. Um, because in 2026, all cars are going to have to go to an engine that it's run off 100% sustainable, uh, sustainable fuel, which is a drastic change. And so a lot, they basically said, let's set it up to where you guys can work on that. Um, and so for the next four to five years, there are no changes in the engines, which I find interesting. It, it changes organizationally because it forces your model makers to get off of the tweak uh, view that they've had in the past where they change little things to one where we have to come up with this new car. That's what all those people have switched to. That All those teams now are looking to that 2026 we're going to run it like Tesla or we're going to run it on bananas. However they're going to do it, it's good. that's what those teams have done. And that's the big, like you said, that's a huge move. It's a great move for the image behind F1. Um, will it work for the cars? We'll see. It's changed this season. They'll, they'll figure it out. I know that they can. So, I mean, they're still going to. It's Formula 1. They're still going to be fast cars. Billion-dollar industry. Yeah, exactly. So uh, the other thing that kind of came back from – for the last couple of years, uh, preseason testing, you've only had one, you know, kind of preseason testing session. They brought back the second one. A lot of teams really, really like that because basically you do one, you take like two or three weeks off, then you do the second one. So they have a real good chance of kind of testing the track limits of uh, their new cars for the year. So that's that's always good. Um, the aer aerodynamic regulations are the ones that got way more, way, way, way more intense. So uh, the entire idea of the aerodynamics to these new cars is that they don't leave like bad air behind them. They don't like a wake, like a mm -hmm. wake behind a boat. Think of like the air wake behind a car. It doesn't leave terrible turbulence behind the car. So cars can follow closer leading to more dramatic racing, um, you know, more overtaking. That's the entire idea. Uh, so the way that they actually set up the aerodynamics regulations this year, I thought was pretty interesting. Basically, um, the team, they kind of start like halfway down the list of, uh, you know, teams and like where you ranked last year and halfway down is where you get 100% of like the allocated time. If you were worse than that team, you get more than 100% of the time. And if you were better, you get less time. And so the entire idea is that, you know, if your car is already super good, you get less time in the tunnel versus these cars that need more time which i found interesting because like uh the 10th place team the team that was the worst last year got 150 15 percent of the time allocated versus if uh like mercedes who was in first they got 70 percent of the aerodynamic testing that um time so like drastic time changes um versus what who, who actually gets to test and stuff which i thought was pretty interesting 
Um, they also had a budget cap that's kind of a sliding path, basically trying to get to um, twenty twenty six. They're they're try- before they get there, they're trying to set a budget cap where all teams have a certain cap that they can get to. But you know, these teams that were spending a ton of money on their cars, they're like, we've already. You know, we're already ready to spend this amount. How can we then go from spending this to spending that and not expect to take a drastic dip off? So it's been a declining kind of grade every year. So last year it was like you could spend $145 million on the car. This year it's $141 million, And then it's going to keep on kind of declining until it meets in the middle. Um, so, you know, the cars are going to, in theory, start to get a little bit more even as far as pay-wise, which I thought was interesting. Yeah, it will. It 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 may affect it depends on you know the the drop level what what are they taking out i mean it could be very impactful it could also not be that much of a big difference it's just they're equaling out money for teams that need a little bit more money to figure out who their drivers are and it's also a cap so like if you were already spending under that cap it's not like you're going to get more money to meet that cap now you'll still yeah. be under that cap um another interesting thing was uh they tightened up the non-sprint race weekends. So instead of having like a practice on Thursday uh, and then practice Friday uh, or like two practices on Friday, then, you know, qualifying Saturday, race Sunday, they now made it where they have the same amount of practices, but they happen on Friday and Saturday versus so that extra day is almost kind of given back to the, the, you know, workers and everything like that, which is kind of good because they said that they, it was getting kind of burned out whenever you're running you know, Thursday through Sunday, picking up, moving to another place, running Thursday through Sunday, picking up, moving. So uh, I think that's good on the whole teams. And if you look at some of the newer places, like we, we, like we had uh, Austin, Miami, for instance, um, that extra day, that Thursday is important because that's where those companies make money. Party night is Thursday. And then of course, after the races, but all of the racers can come out that night. 100%. Um, some other cool things like in all these sports, you and I, we always say we like to, to see the kids play. We like to let them get out there and uh, show their talent. So the rookies this year, one of the big things that they've been saying is there was not a lot of time for young talent to get behind F1 cars until you're just kind of thrown in it. So, um, uh, to increase the chances for rookies, it is now mandatory for a team to give them an out, an outing in an FP1 on at least two occasions. So that means in practice one, when the car's fully kind of ready for the race weekend, you got to give them a shot. Uh, that means each team must use a driver who has started no more than two Grand Prix, and they can either use the same driver twice or two different drivers for one session each if they'd prefer. I think that's great. You're, that's why we've been seeing kids like DeVries uh, De a couple weekends ago actually ended up in his first race getting points. But, um, you know, it's only going to help the talent the more and more that they're in the car. Yeah, and it also does allow for uh, people being brought up back and down. I know it's not going to happen as often, but certain teams can bring up a third guy. Um, like Williams has had multiple people this year for kind of slightly different reasons, but it helps in that capacity. But more like what you're saying, it allows these drivers that are 19 to 21 to get that just added experience because honestly, the top level, by the time you're 26, you're, you're getting older. Yeah. hundred percent. So, um, Exactly. We like seeing these these young kids in, in the cars. We like seeing them get the opportunities because it's only going to make for better racing down the line. Um, let's talk about the cars. The cars changed a lot. Uh, the biggest thing that you'll – well, one of the biggest things that we noticed just 
us as Americans, we like big rims on cars. Um, they have larger 18-inch wheels this year. Uh, the lower profile means that the tire won't deform as much, um, and it also allows for bear, better aerodynamics around the wheels, like we talked about, throwing less of a dirty air wake behind it, so um, for better, closer racing. Uh, the lower aerodynamic wake being thrown by the car does make um, for it to, uh, for there to be easier and closer to follow, but so does the 3D floor. It's got this new three-dimensional floor underneath it that you know helps in overtaking, helps keep the car lower to the ground. And when you get behind other cars, a lot of the problems in the past was you the air would go underneath the car that's behind and kind of lift it, and so you wouldn't get as much grip going into corners. The 3D floors kind of eliminate that, so that's pretty cool as well. Um, the longer noses for the car, uh, at, like, I don't know if you've noticed, but they are longer on the front. And the reason for that is now in front end collisions, they're like a certain degree, even safer. So, um, you know, they can, they can take even more G forces and everything when they're, when, uh, they get into these big front end wrecks. Um, another interesting thing that they mandated for these new cars, especially after the Roman Grosjean accident, for those mm -hmm. of you who have seen that, it happened, I think, in 2019 or 2020. Um, very, very big, fiery accident. He walked away. He was totally fine. Uh, had a, some burns on his hands. Uh, and, you know, but overall was uh, way better off than it could be because his car literally went it was into a fireball. a fireball. It turned into a fireball. It exploded. Um, and so the car, the way that they fixed that is the car now specifically breaks away behind the driver's cockpit mm -hmm. so that the engine and the driver's cockpit separate so that the fuel cell doesn't separate the fuel cell stays intact with the you know engine going on so that at that point you're not having because what happened was fuel cell separated that gas went everywhere hitting hot things and it ignited now the fuel cell and theory is going to stay together the entire time it's very similar to mario kart when you have a little shell and you drop it behind you it'll blow up behind someone just saying very similar very similar <laughs> but this it's important what you're bringing up because the 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 tight quarters of the turns in in races this year we have seen the impact of what you're talking about already the 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 way you're able to cut in is is so much more and it's it's change races i mean leclerc a lot of his points are because of this new i mean i think he won one race because of it alone so there, there is some method to this madness. I think it's made the racing really tight. I think it's been really exciting to see, and we'll we'll kind of get into the points and everything here in a second because I think we'll see a lot more, not necessarily parity across the field, but you'll see a lot more people involved than last than the last few years for sure. Um, the last thing that I'd like to mention about the car shape is that the wings, the back mm -hmm. wings, look awesome they look super cool um and it, once again it's about that same thing of throwing the better air wake the aerodynamics were definitely the big kind of thing that everyone noticed about these new cars and uh i love the look of them i think they look futuristic i think they look super cool i like what they're doing with the larger wheels and the the wheel covers that a lot of these teams are doing on them um it's been really really fun yeah it looks good it it is making for better vehicles and it's making like you said a more competitive field i mean Max is owning it, but the rest of the field is as dynamic as it ever has been. So let's let's jump into that really fast. Let's do drivers first, and then we can jump into the teams. But like you were saying, Max has been dominating. He currently has 335 uh, points. He's won 12 races. Um, or excuse me, Red Bull has won 12 races. He's won 11 of them. Perez has won one. Yeah, Perez won one. Um, but he's he's been looking unstoppable basically the only thing that can stop him is whenever he's got to take a grid penalty from an engine and we saw him take a grid penalty all the way down to 15th and i think he still, still won, won that race so he's an absolute monster that red bull 
that Red Bull car is um, looking pretty much unbeatable. And I'm pretty sure he can actually wrap it up here within the next two or three races if he was able to pull them all out. So Technically, Singapore the next race. He yes. could do it with uh, Leclerc has to drop to ninth. And a win, obviously, by Max. Gotcha. Um, the next kind of two, I would say through five and even really six, uh, they're all kind of stacked up within about 60 points of each other at that point. Um, you have Charles Leclerc in second with Ferrari. Uh, he's had a great season, but I think he can also be very disappointed with this season. There's been a lot of mental errors. There's been uh, three or I think three or four times where he has not finished and it's and I know at least two or three of them have been on him, if uh, not like the car breaking or something like him losing control type situations. He's he's a talented young driver, but um, he he's he was just not ready to win yet. And, I mean, he he didn't win in Italy. I think it's the big moment of the season. Um, I think that is very much where people are like, ah, Max clinched things right there. Especially um, that was the one where Max is starting 15 places yeah. back still pulled it out i mean it's an amazing race and it, it was max deserves all the wins he gets he's the best racer on the circuit but it, it it's not just that two to six it's basically three teams and it's the three teams we kind of expected but maybe not the order we expected i i've been a ferrari guy as much as you've now been red bull and these two teams could do this for the next 10 years it's incredible uh these two cars that being said, we all know that Mercedes is coming back. They had they had a down year this year. I don't think you can ever count them out with the amount of money Mercedes has. But the, the, they do have stud drivers in George Russell and in Lewis Hamilton. I mean, Lewis Hamilton is arguably one of the greatest, if not the greatest, uh, F1 racer of all time. Um, he's done some pretty great things. Uh, so, Is, I, is this not the season of George Russell? I George mean, 200 points amazing. is... Outside of Max, I think George is the most exciting person, forget the show, in the F1 world. I like George. Uh, Katrina calls him Ebony Ma. Mm. She, <laughs> he, he, she said he reminds her of Ebony Ma from uh, uh, Infinity War. And uh, I like George. My only thing with George is... Um, how do I put if this? If you take away the personality in the guy and you look at the guy in the car, oh, the guy George Russell is one of the best in Mr. the world. Saturday, that's what they call I honestly think uh, next season he will push in there with Leclerc and Max, and you will see him win a freaking race already. Okay. All right. All right. I said it. Um, we also have Carlos Sainz. I love Carlos Sainz. I think he's, I think he's been overperforming just as much as Charles Leclerc has been underperforming. I've enjoyed Sainz. I like that. Uh, I've, uh, I think he's just very consistent. You know, he's not always going to push for, like, first, but he's constantly there for the third place or the second place finish. He's I, I've been really, really impressed with Carlos. Um, Carlos's consistency. And he helps Charles do what Charles has been able to do. The problem, like you said, is Charles sometimes has slipped just long enough for Max to do what Max can do. I agree with you. I think Sands is one of the best in the world. What makes him great is him and Charles are a good team together. They actually like each other. And as much as it's okay to hate your other driver, it's so much better when you don't. He's always gotten along with everyone he's worked with. Yeah. He he's, was friends with Lando. He's friends with Max. He's friends with... He seems like a chill dude. I mean, yeah, no, I like cool. Carlos personality-wise. Absolutely. Um, I think Ferrari, the, the engineers and the race director at Ferrari, they, they have to take a lot of credit for the 
poor management of strategy on several uh, Sundays. There was, there's been several times where, you know, Red Bulls just beat them with undercuts and overcuts because they just haven't been able to time their, um, you know, their pit stop windows. Or they've messed up in pit stops where they have like a five or six second pit stop when you just can't do that when you're trying to push for a first. So Ferrari's got a lot to learn as far as like right now. Um, you know, they're historic though. They're going to they're gonna be fine. They're historic, but they're also, I think, on the verge of maybe blowing up some positions and people in their group. I'm I just think, saying I that. Think, I think Matias is gone. I, I think that's the thing that's out there, and I it makes sense. Uh, he seems light years behind everyone else. I mean, there are other people. There, there are teams. I, I, Alpine, Haas, some of these guys running those are a lot better. So that brings us to kind of the midfield. Like we said, the top the top of the table is basically Red Bull in first, Ferrari in second, uh, Mercedes in third. Um, in fourth, I would say it's uh, uh, Alpine Renault. Um, they're slightly above um, McLaren because, in all honesty, Lando has been carrying McLaren all year. Uh, it's really, really sad to see. I love Daniel Ricciardo. I love the personality, but he has not lived up to expectations at all. Um, whenever Lando's seventh on the table and, uh, Daniel's 14th, that's, that's not you, uh, you're in the same cars guys. Like you should, you should be a lot closer together on that table. Yeah. I mean, Daniel's dropped off a, a, the side of a, a, a mountain, I guess. I mean, the, the more impressive thing out of those two arguments is Alonzo, the old man doing what he's doing. Uh, how, how long can he do it for? Will he be usurped? I mean, I, that's the team where a lot of people are talking about movement also. Um, but him and Ocon uh, have done really well. I, I always liked Esteban. I thought he was always a fiery kid deep down. He'll fight for it, and he's top 10 because of it. Um, I agree with you. I think they're a slightly better team because they're overall better than just Lando kind of being baby Leclerc. Yeah, absolutely. I can I can agree, agree to that. Uh, we also have... Kind of in the next, also in that tier slightly, we have uh, Alfa Romeo, um, Valtteri Bottas. That's where he went after Mercedes. He's been doing a great job for them, um, constantly kind of racking in points. Uh, we also have uh, Haas. Haas has been doing a lot better than I think anybody was really expecting. I think those Ferrari engines have really paid off for Alfa Romeo and Haas. They're all running Ferrari engines. And in preseason, everybody could tell that those were very powerful. So... I'm, I'm really excited about it. And they have a Schumacher, so there's a Living Legends kid there, True. so it helps a lot. He's done a lot better than I thought he would. I thought he would be down the bottom. He's had some really good point moments and finishes, and that's a good team. Magnussen's a great top-end driver. Um, that leads me to a team that I've kind of been underwhelmed by. I was a big AlphaTauri formula, formula, formerly um, Toro Rosso. sexy Pierre. I like Pierre. He's Pierre amazing. I love Pierre's Pierre. Awesome. I think he's and one of the better drivers. Yeah, absolutely. And I think I think there's been something going on with that car and that whole setup because uh, you know both he and Yuki. It's not the drivers. Those no. guys are fiery guys. Yeah, Pierre's still in eleventh. I mean, he's he's right outside of the, the top ten. But Yuki, uh, Yuki is just kind of mistakes all over the place. Classic because he's really he's young. wild. He's he's wild and he's, he's young, fun though. But he's fun to watch. Um, Aston Martin has been terrible. Uh, Lance Stroll, it, he's lucky that his dad owns that that should racing he, should company. Should he ever been in F one? Yeah. I don't know, but he's 
pretty bad. Uh, Alex Albon's been overperforming in that Williams car. He's got four points to his name. And um, cool little kid coming in, Nick DeVries, last week on his first debut, he got two points, which I thought was really impressive. So um, I'm always a I'm always an underdog story kind of guy. So I always root for Williams Racing just because I like Alex Albon from when he was at Red Bull. But I also like uh, that whole story of, you know, William Racing tra- Williams Racing trying to get back to the top. Well, you know, and it, it that's the one team I kind of give a, a pass on this season because of what happened management-wise and the moving on of the family name kind of changing the whole dynamic of things. Um, I, I'm excited for them in the next few seasons. Something you brought up earlier about the, uh, the when the money starts to equal out, teams like Alpha Tori and also I think Aston Martin are going to be those teams that can step up. You're right, Aston Martin has... They've really sucked this year, let's be brutally honest. Um, but I think team-wise, that's a great team. Um, it, it's just a matter of what are you going to do with Stroll because he's not an F1 driver. Yeah, and I think Vettel's about to retire because he's not interested in sitting around. And Would you want to? He's no. a legit talent. I mean, the of the older guard, Botas doing what he's doing, I'm really happy. I've always liked Valerie. Same with for, uh, Fernando Alonso. Oh, Fernando deserves it too, because Fernando's one of the guys that I think is loved by other drivers. Hundred percent. I don't know if Valerie really. That's he's a Mercedes you, guy. No one likes Mercedes. People. That's why you have to give the space. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. <laughs> um, when we look at, we kind of already did this by going through all the names, but when we look at the constructors, uh, Red Bulls in first, obviously they're far away in first. I think they've almost kind of locked it up. Ferrari has uh, 406 points. Um, Mercedes has 371. So, you know, 35 point difference between them. I think Mercedes could sneak in if Ferrari keeps making these kind of mistakes because Mercedes has been consistent four or five the entire year. If they sneak in and get some of these podiums here at the end, they're going to they're going to be able to make some noise. Um, I'm really excited to see if uh, McLaren can come back on Alpine Renault just because I love Lando. I I would love to see him kind of. take over that kind of four spot and move, move up in the the standings. And then the other uh, kind of um, race that's kind of left is between seven, eight, nine spot. You have Haas for uh, Haas has 34 points, Alpha Tauri with 33 points, and then Aston Martin with 25. So um, seeing how they kind of play out over the, the last few races will be really fun to see as well. Yeah. And the top three race I think is, is the, obviously the thing that's going to sell the most boats, um, let's be honest. It, it can Mercedes hold on to the brilliance. I don't know. Uh, I think the drivers are better in the other two cars. Uh, but George Williams is a difference maker and Lewis Hamilton is not going to let his legacy be dropped as much as it is, but can he do anything this year? I, I don't know. Like you said, they're, they're a lot better now than they were at the beginning of the season. Just as Ferrari was a lot better at the beginning of the season and not so much now. Can they overtake them? Of course they can. It's more of a battle two and three than it is for one. I think that's obvious. Absolutely. And, um, you know, I think we'll definitely touch back on this when the season ends uh, and kind of see all the different teams' plans going into next year. Um, but, yeah, I think I, I, it's always fun to sit down and talk cars. It's always fun to sit down and talk the fastest cars, which are which is F1. Um, but one thing that you and I have kind of joked about for a while is we'd love to sit down and talk about just like our all time favorite cars and some, you know, some, some cars that we've always been obsessed with. So uh, I think we're going to go ahead and take a quick break and we're going to come back and kind of give a rundown of some of our all time favorite cars here on Known to Ramble.
Scotty. So let's go ahead and start running down some of our all-time favorite cars. Um, I thought it'd be kind of fun if we did it list list style, where we kind of go from five to one, uh, and bouncing back and forth. But I also wanted to say that I know that a lot of when when we're kind of growing up, that's when you're most susceptible to like what you think is cool and for the Mm -hmm. longest time you think that that's cool and that's why I'm obsessed with like comic books and you know music and all that kind of stuff because that's what I found interesting as a kid so I think it's really funny that as I'm going through you're going to notice a lot of these were very very popular in the the realm of when I would have been like 10 to 16 to 20 kind of in that in that area and so um you know I, I also want you to tell me like when was the first time that you kind of saw this car when when did it when did it uh attract you Okay. When, when did you like kind of that. fall in love with it? And so um, I, I want you to go ahead and get things started. What's your number five? Well, I think that's kind of perfect because my number five to me is my most nostalgic. It's the one I actually had a poster of, which was my brother Byron's poster uh, that I stole. Um, but it is the one also, like you said, it's a dreamy car. It's the one that I dreamed of having. And that was the 94 Ferrari Testarossa. It is that classic. Um, I'll show it to Josh, but the the door uh, kind of contour is a very infamous one of the Testarossa. I think they're a sexier looking Ferraris, no doubt. But the Testarossa, like you said, it was 94 was just before I was a teenager. It was like right up my alley of the coolest cars out there. And for some reason, the, the 94 sticks out because it was the body change year. For those that love the Testarossa, the, there's the 89 and then there's the 94 version. And they were both... Um, slightly uh, slicker versions of each other battling it out. I, I love the 94, though. And that's kind of the dream car on my wall thing that it, practically I would hate to drive a Ferrari, to be honest. It's too low and it's too jumpy. But as far as like cool, oh, my God, I want that car. Ferrari Testarossa is the one I think of as like my kid car. I'd also be afraid I'm going to break it. <laughs> <laughs> well, it's not made of the hardest metals out there. <laughs> um so uh, my number five is actually the only truck that I have on my on my list, and it is the um, 2002 Ford F350. Uh, in this, tr- uh, but it's the diesel you went engine. Big. I went big. It's the it's the the seven point liter Power Stroke diesel engine. It's a huge engine. It's legendary. Um, basically, it's it's probably the best diesel engine ever built. In all honesty, uh, over fifty percent of these engines are still um, like don't even begin breaking down until after three hundred fifty thousand miles. Uh, there have been reports of five hundred thousand miles odometers breaking, but they know it went another two hundred fifty thousand miles over like a thousand uh, over like there have been million miles of these de- of, of these uh, diesel engines. So basically, they over engineered them for the power that they were putting out, and so it's just like the kind of all time awesome work truck um you know no it's it's legendary so the 7.3 diesel uh 2002 ford f350 um that that would probably be my number one truck that i've always wanted there there are interesting things with truck people they're either people who like the feel of driving the truck or they're the power people that's a power truck that's the power truck, but it feels great when you drive it. Too. Oh, it's lovely inside. The oh, back, nice. the the back cab is huge. You know me; I'd go lariat. Got to get that. Got to get that leather in there. Back and it and that's, it would, it that's would be a Texas real way only. And yes. Ba- if it's in two thousand two, it wouldn't it wouldn't be any of that vegan leather stuff they have now. That's for sure. Um, so yeah, can, your your car is by far the worst against the environment. One hundred percent. Our car. One hundred percent. That's not why I would buy this car. And like I said, it would be a daily driver. I'm not like gonna 
pay the six dollars. No yeah. <laughs> you're, no you're hauling a, a lot in the back. That's right. Uh, all right, number four. Number four. Uh, so this one is is solely based on one of my favorite movies, uh, Richard Linklater's classic Days and Confused. There are amazing cars in this. A lot of muscle cars. I'll go over a couple. The the kind of the most famous one um, is that orange uh, Judge, the GTO Pontiac. That uh, let's see if I it's it's Pickford's car, the one where they put the uh, kiss on the back and light them on fire. Absolutely, it's a total muscle car. It's got the the beautiful eyes on top on the roof that just the exhaust out. It it's such a sexy car. But the car from Days and Confused, it's my all time favorite. It belongs to Mr. McConaughey himself. It's the '70 Chevrolet Chevelle SS four fifty four. Packs that punch, baby. Ooh. That you hear it in the in the in the scene where they're getting the burgers and he's talking s to uh, the guy who has the the white one. I forget his name. The beats up uh, uh, Adam Goldstein's character. They have the the race too later on in the the movie. But that SS four fifty four is one of the ultimate muscle cars. It may not be the strongest or most powerful, but to me, it's my childhood. I love that movie. Beautiful I love that lines. Car. I love that car too. And McConaughey, all right, all right, all right, is in that car. 100%. That's true. It's got some nostalgia. Um, so the car, this this is the car that I remember kind of falling in love whenever I was in high school. It, uh, it would have come out, you know, right middle school going into high school, mm. basically. Um, and that is the... Ooh. E46 BMW M3, um, you know, the GTR version would the be nice. The boat of BMWs. I love it. I didn't expect this. Okay. I lo- I, I'm a BMW fan, dude. I love I love the E46. This is, uh, it's a straight uh, straight six. It's a 3.2 liter, so big old engine, um, you know, for, for a car like that. For B- it's huge. Yeah. Bro. And uh, I love the design of it. It was, it's one of the first cars that I saw where I was like, you know, you could totally drive that to work on a Monday and like street race all night on the weekends. Like it's gorgeous. I love this car. It is a BMW. So, you know, you, you can break them, <laughs> but uh, I, this is, this is definitely one of the legendary M3s in my book. You know, as a good Jewish boy, the German cars are a little tough, Beamers and Mercedes. But as far as Beamers that you could have chosen, I am so impressed. That not only is a big boat drive, that it was sexy inside. Um, It was not a little, like you said, they're breakable. That one was not as breakable because you had that front end that could could go for days. That's a great power Beamer. I didn't expect that, Josh. It's pretty. I like it. All right, number three. Wow. Okay, so I'm going wild with one. This was my wild pick. It's purely nostalgic in the look of it. Um, Another movie. um, uh, I love True Romance. I think it's the best Bonnie and Clyde story retold. Uh, It's written by the great Quentin Tarantino. And they have a... You can either call it a dark pink, or I think it's properly called a purple. uh, El Dorado-style 1974 Cadillac. And it's it's, it's a convertible. <laughs> it's a sexy car. The color is straight up gaudy. I it, Josh knows me quite well. I, I love wearing a salmon shirt. I love purples. Um, that's it, a that's what you call a slab car. You you you, you want to <laughs> slam it slow, loud, and banging, dude. That's and you a, that's that a sweet is your car. that's your roadster across the country drive. Like that's I like how it. I would go across uh, Route sixty six for my trip. Would be in that big purple beast and. Uh, it's got a giant trunk the eldorado cut has the longer trunk so dead bodies are in there when you need to you know drop them in the desert 
That thing looks like it would it would fit perfectly with some longhorns on the front. <laughs> <laughs> there is a there is I you know I looked at a couple ones of like those types uh, older caddies. I looked at the uh, Godfather where they have the big old hump back the fifty nines. Um, but as far as like, I love an Eldorado cut to my caddy. I like yeah. a big old. Caddy. No, it looks good. It looks really good. Um, all right. So number three for me, I, I think you'll kind of start to notice that I, I'm a JDM guy. I love the like late, like early to mid nineties to, to early to mid two thousands Japanese cars. Uh, so number three, Nissan Skyline GTR R34 V spec two. It's produced from 1998 to 2002. It's technically still illegal in the United States. I was about to, to say, buy. where are you seeing this uh, car? It's technically still illegal to get because you can't import them until 2024. So we should be seeing them soon. I have actually seen a couple in real life because you can get certain imports. You can tweak it. Yeah, yeah you can do certain things. Um, but it's it's an inline six. Uh, it, it's kind of one of these cars that's been known to be able to be tuned for days. You can put tons of boost behind them. The stock ECU that it came with was one of the it could handle more than just about anything in its day. Um, it was, it's known for its awesome balance and all wheel drive and it's got active limited slip, slip differentials, uh, in the weir, in the rears. So it's just known as being one of these cars that you can, that handles beautifully. Um, the, the color that you actually see here, there's only one that was ever made in that color, that midnight purple, uh, the V spec two, the, they made 18 of them, I think, and 17 of them were painted silver and they left one in the midnight purple. And so, you know, other people have wrapped them in the midnight purple since, but there's only one technically that was left in that original midnight purple paint, uh, with the V spec too. So when I think of it, it's a blacked out car, oh, blacked yeah, yeah. out with blacked out wheels. It's a Yakuza car, by the way. I dude, I love this car. No, no, it's gorgeous. It's, it's all over Toga. It's an amazing car to have. I'm shocked you picked it because it's not seen here. It's one of my favorites of all time. Twenty twenty four. I'm a big racing game guy, and it's literally like the number one car that I try and buy in every racing game because <laughs> I'm in love with it. All right, number two, go. All right, so I had a really tough time between my one and twos. They're almost very similar style cars. They're muscle small roadsters. Uh, they're classics too, but maybe not the picks you'll go with. But I'll go with, I think he's the most influential maker of cars for America, but maybe the world, Carroll Shelby. I think there's no one like what he's done over the years. A lot of people think of the Cobra and you think of like the blue stripe. I personally am much more a fan of the, uh, the sorry, the, the, the snake version, all blue with the dark interior. Let me see if I can show you that. Um, it's the same as the Cobra, but it's it's his Carol all blue style. Um, it's not the one you see in the movies, but it's one of the fastest cars. The '67 is considered one of the greatest cars ever made. It's it's actually the car that uh, Iron Man, when he's testing out yes. his suit in Iron Man yes. One, he falls into and falls on top of. And uh, that was a replica. Thank goodness it wasn't fully broken. It's a beautiful car. It's you know it's one of those. Where it's not even technically a Ford. It's a it's a Carroll. It's a Shelby. It's his Carol. specific. Yeah. It, it was it was his hot rod company that was originally making them. Um, yeah. No. No. Great choice. Beautiful. Beautiful it's, car. And I I I have a a thing with the the blue of Carroll because most people think of the white one with the stripe. The blue stripes. Yeah. Yeah. But the blue one is to me the best car ever made. Oh yeah. No. 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 It's it's gorgeous. That's a great choice. Um, so my number two is my muscle car. Uh, I, 
I do. I am in love with um, American Muscle, so I tried to narrow it down to one to keep it on the list. Um, I went with a Dodge Challenger, or sorry, Dodge Charger. Excuse say, me. That's the big boy. Yeah, that's yeah. I went with the big guy. It, it was hard for me to choose between '69 and '70. '69 uh, kind of has the like. Uh, like point in the middle of the grill so it's almost turned into like two grills on the front and uh, the 70 was the first one where they kind of went that flat grill on the front um, and so I kind of lean more towards the 70 it just looks a gives little a bigger eyes yeah, I yeah. think too. yeah it gives it gives that front it lots end of is edge. beautiful but it is a boat I'm not gonna like that is a huge car it's not for sliding around corners it's not or anything like that like this thing this thing's this it can be a drag monster though if um, your previous car was Yakuza this is straight up big gangster so this is it's yeah this is a V8 engine it's a 7.2 liter it's massive uh it at the time it was putting out 381 horsepower that's huge for the late 60s early 70s um it's it's just it's huge i love the look of it uh and if i were to ever i, I don't know if you've heard the term resto rest uh, resto mod where it's like you take an old school car but you kind of modify it with some of the more nice modern amenities you know this is Computer. where people, yeah this is where people are putting you know taking a fifty thousand dollar car but turning it into a two hundred thousand dollar car mm-hmm. because it's got all the things that you would want in kind of your modern car i would love to restore have a resto mod of this because i love this car i love the lines of it i love how aggressive it looks and yeah is that the color scheme you want the light top version no, 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 I would, I would go, you know, very, very kind of dark, either, you know, dark gray, uh, or black. And then, um, with the grill, I would do very, very like bright chrome on the grill. The chrome has to be sparkling. Oh yeah. That front I mean, end is so gorgeous. hundred percent. So I, that's why I wouldn't paint it black. I've seen that done a lot and I wouldn't do that. No, you're um, great. The gray is the one I think of. Like, yeah. The dark gray is beautiful. All right. Number one, give it to me. So when people think of like cars racing cars movies too there's one movie that comes to mind bullet steve mcqueen now there is a famous car in bullet that is historic and that is not my choice that is not the car i'm picking that is a beautiful amazing beautiful car but steve mcqueen owned a different car the green rat and this is a jaguar i'm just going to show you this a jag jag's my favorite brand of car i love jag i did not know that about you i'm a big jag guy um my brother had a jag i love racing green jaguars the the british green um let me see if i have a picture of steve's steve had a, a low cut on it on the front doors too so it was slightly a little bit different i think there's only 16 of these made in the world for americans okay there's like 20 back in in britannia but uh it is the famous green rat car that steve mcqueen had and then um you, you've got to google it it's one of the coolest cars for anyone to have in their own thing he bought it from a tv talk show host guy who spent the most for any of them being brought over and mcqueen saw it one day and had his wife write a check right then and there so he could take it home that day but the green rat is an epic famous uh man's car for for driving across the 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 one if you will in california steve mcqueen with beautiful hairlocks going through the the waves there uh, to his left in the beautiful green car the Green Rat. It's a famous car. A Jag, man. I, I, didn't, I didn't see that coming. That's Out of left I field. like it. Um, well, my all-time favorite car, and this is going to be shocking because when we were talking last week, I told you how much I'm disappointed in Toyota nowadays. <laughs> but my all-time favorite car is the Toyota Supra Mark IV 
with the 2JZ engine. It was produced from 1993 to 2002, um, kind of towards the later 2000 or the uh, like 99, 98, 2001, 2002. That's when they were starting to uh, really boost the absolute hell out of these. So like they were putting tons of turbo on them um, and you know, people have taken these, uh, the reason people really like these is they're super tunable. People are routinely getting over a thousand horsepower out of this original JDM engine by adding, you know, different turbo packages to it. Um, and it like the, the engine block is renowned for like being able to handle all of this extra boost. So, um, it's one of my favorite cars. I love the look of it. It's so 90s. It's so ridiculously 90s. Uh, and uh, it was just a really, really well-engineered car. It's another one of those ones that, you know, only started. you only started seeing it around here not too long ago just because it was one of those JDM cars. Um, most of them that you find, the driver's the steering will be will be on the right side of the car. Mm-hmm. Uh, so that's, that's something that a lot of people got to get used to who do drive it. But I would love to drive these one day just to try it out. I'm pretty sure it's the most imported car of the 90s to Texas, for instance, because Texas had a lot of cars banned. Lamborghinis were banned for a long time. Um, some versions of Ferraris, the low-cut cars. But the Supra with that fin is one of the sexiest designs. Uh, and you talk about the tricking out the car. The sound of a tricked-out Supra has nothing else like it on oh, the planet. Man. You can hear it screech, yell, scream, and it is still sexy. The whistle, the blow-off oh. valves, oh, all of it. it it's you so know, good. like. You're either a muscle car guy and you want that room, or you are a super guy and you want to hear angels you scream. Want the whistles. <laughs> the whistles are beautiful, and uh, your color choice in the photo is a terrible color. You could trick out this car in like midnight orange or lime green and have one of the funkiest cars in Dallas. For the record, I picked this one because of the body kit they put on it. I love the body kit on it. It does look smooth. I've I just, seen some more boxy yeah, ones. I, would, yeah. I wouldn't paint it white. Come on. I wouldn't get it white. You got a super. You got to have a color. Something bright. So that uh, that's funny that the Supras. I mean, that's a big Dallas car. A lot of people have imported Supras in the last decade. I'd say it, it is a, a beloved car. I love um, it. It's God. It sounds so good. I know. <laughs> I know. Yeah, of all the um, sound ones. If but I will say, of all the cars mentioned, the one that probably has the best sound is your your Testarossa. I will say that there's nothing like the sound of a Ferrari engine. Well, going past two, I mean, it, it lingers. Uh, there's nothing like a Ferrari. Yeah, totally. Um, that, I I've really enjoyed this segment. I think that this is settled. We could go we're, to ten if we wanted. We're, we're gonna we're gonna jump on some more car episodes for sure because this has been a ton of fun. Um, so uh, I think we're gonna take take a quick break and we'll come back here and wrap it up. This has been another episode of Known to Ramble. Follow us on Instagram at known the number two ramble and on Twitter at K the number two R pod. Thanks for listening and see you next week.